Wait, Jeremy, did you say that you wanted to do the ad rates? Not a chance. Okay. We're back, guys. Uh, this is the Work For It podcast, but before we get into the conversation with Jeremy Bolivall, I've got to shout out my couple sponsors. Maritime Knife Supply, that's where you're going to find the best stuff for knife making. If you're a knife maker or a maker in general, go over to MaritimeKnifeSupply.com. That's where you're going to find steels, abrasives, handle materials, glue, tools, even heats, uh, pretty much everything that you're ever going to need. So go over to maritimeknifesupply.ca or .com. That's where you're going to find it. And if you want to do a crazy upgrade, go over to Baker Forge and Tool. That's bakerforgeandtool.com. Go check out their Damascus. Jeremy just finished making a beautiful knife out of it. We can talk about that here in a little bit. Jeremy, did you use WFI 10 when you when you bought that steel? You about have to. Yeah, you have to? Why is that? I mean, don't get me wrong. I, I appreciate what they're doing. Uh, the prices are steep, but you get what you pay for. Yes, you so do. So that, on that billet, uh, it kept me under 300 bucks, and I got two knives out of it. So There it is. There it is. And I'm sure you made a lot more than that, that money that you put in. So go ahead, go check out BakerForge.com. Use WFI10 at checkout for 10% off. Also, thank you to the Patreon supporters. We couldn't do the show without you. Welcome back, Jeremy Ballaball. How's it going, man? Not too shabby, actually. Uh, pretty happy with the way the week's going so far. Well, this is a huge week for you because you're officially full-time, right? Whoa, no, no, no. What? I, I thought you quit your job. I did quit my job. I didn't leave the union, per se. I still have uh, my card, and I kept my book and everything. I just quit the job site I was on. Here I thought you were full-time. I, I don't know if I can make that happen. <laughs> I just had a conversation with Pickle this week on a live about it, and it was talking about how stressful it would be, and I, I'm not ready for it yet. So... I mean, you do live streams, you know, I do live streams, Pickle does live stream, you jump on live streams all the time. Um, how was that conversation? Like, what what did Pickle say about it? And what, what made you choose not to go, like, both feet in? Well, so this is definitely not the first time Pickle and, I've, and I have had this conversation. Because it, I mean, I, I know the way he feels about it. And he's like, dude, you just have to, you just have to jump in with both feet. You just got to do it. And for the job I do and for what they pay me, it's to be able to replicate that at home is definitely going to be tough yeah. just for, oh, uh, there's multiple reasons why. I mean, you know how the hammock goes so are up and down and mm -hmm. I just don't think I'm, I don't think I have a strong enough customer base to be able to consistently bring in what I need to bring in currently. I'm not sure. saying that can't ever happen, but I, I just don't think right now is the, uh, a good time yeah and also having that that better income coming in um that's hard to walk away from like let's be honest the reason i was able to walk away was because i was working at target like i was not making jack shit so you know dropping dropping that for what i'm currently making did, wasn't that much of a difference so yeah i totally get it where when you originally messaged me or either you messaged me or you called me or something and you said you you walked off your job or you're quitting. I thought you were like walking away from the profession and going full time. No, not quite. And it's kind of funny. I uh, it, this kind of shows how much my friends care for me. But I had messaged Ryan and uh, Noah, and I had told them I was I was quitting my job. And and Noah's like, Hey, dude, if uh, if you need to talk or something, like let's not make irrational decisions before. <laughs> and I was like, Oh. No, I'm sorry. I didn't mean it like that. I meant I'm just this just for the job site. I'm not going to be here anymore. They're like, oh, all right. I, I thought maybe something serious was going on. And you're like, yep, <laughs> we're done here. Oh, geez. Yeah. Uh, so t what does that mean? So you're able to walk off that job site, but you're not fired from your main. Like, I've never worked in this world before. How does how does it look? So yeah, you join. And um, hopefully this doesn't get too much heat because some states are anti-union <clears throat> michigan um oh are we i didn't know that yeah you're a right to work state wait i thought i thought we got rid of right to work i don't know uh last i heard i i, I don't i don't know i don't keep up with it but yeah, anyways gonna, while you're telling the story i'm gonna fact check you so 
when you join a union, you, yeah, you're an apprentice. And so basically, I'm a contractor is the way it works. So a job site will call the hall and say, hey, we need 15 carpenters for maintenance scaffolding at TRC. I'm like, okay. So I answer the call. Uh, I uh, accept the job. And then I go on that job site for however long they need me. So usually the way my job goes is I will work until they no longer need us, say that project's finished, and then we'll get laid off. And then you can either solicit your own work or you can uh, wait and have the hall give you a call. Um, And I just, I don't know what it is. I just got, I don't know if I'm burned out or I just didn't want to be there. I had, I got knives piling up and we're working 10 hour days and it just i it's like i just can't have a productive day after work yeah and then well this is kind of sad but it's just kind of honest uh attendance like i was getting late every morning and i'm like dude it just sucks like you just don't want to be here to the point where like you don't even want to show up like you just wake Mm. up in the morning and you're like nope not today so kind of out of respect for those guys I kind of left, but also I just didn't want to be there. So mm. now I am, I'm not even on the out of work list, to be honest. That's the, uh, that's the phone call they give you like, Hey, this job needs people. I'm not even on that right now, but. So it kind of looks like you quit your job when you're walking away in a small way. I mean, you still have that thread where you could jump back if things go shitty. Oh but, yeah, yeah. That's how it'll be for the rest of my life if I stay in the in the carpenters union. Wow. So what do you have to do to stay in the union? I I've never been a part of any union, so I don't know my ass from my elbow. So the the only thing that I really have to do is pay my dues. So every month I owe like twenty three dollars or whatever mm-hmm. I pay to the hall. <laughs> twenty three dollars. That's it. Yeah, but you got to think if we got, I don't know. 3,000 members. Yeah, I know, but I was figuring it was going to be like a grand or some shit. Oh, no. No, they don't pay us that well. <laughs> See, you know, <laughs> I've I've heard all the rhetoric like, you know, oh, if you're in your union, all you're all they're doing is bleeding you dry through the dues. $23 is bleeding you dry? Not bleeding me dry. <laughs> no. But, I mean, it's a small price to pay for the benefits, and that's kind of like the whole, like, right-to-work state. We don't have to get deep into it, but... Oh, speaking of, I looked it up. Uh, Michigan repealed right-to-work this past year, uh, this this year, a couple months ago. Good for them. Hopefully, Brian House doesn't work, or listen. (laughs) Hopefully, Brian House doesn't listen. Yeah, why is that? Because I think Florida's uh, right-to-work, and I think he's, he's cool with it. Oh, I don't know. I honestly, you know, so my only slight brush with a union. So going back, I quit Target and that was right before. So I quit Target and I was going to be moving back to my parents' house to kind of like get my feet under me, start, you know, really because Target was giving me shit hours. So I didn't have anything holding me to Mount Pleasant at the time. I walked away from the university and um, so basically I was heading back to my parents for a couple months to try to get, you know, get a job, pay off bills, get current on things and like, you know, do some accruing and assessing and what I wanted to do. And, you know, of course, right at that time, that's where I, when I met Emily. So literally two weeks before I was moving back to my parents, I met Emily and then stayed at my parents for a couple months and worked at this this factory over in the thumb. But so when I was at this factory on the on the first couple days, you know, they sit you down and they tell you tell you all the orientation stuff. You know, it's it's a it's a car parts factory. So it was really like, okay, you take this part, you put it in next or you connect it here. You put it in a machine, you push a button and you connect the next one before you pull out the next one. Do that about, you know, 2000 times in a eight hour shift It's mind numbing to no end. But so we're sitting there and we're doing this orientation and they're telling us we're doing some classwork and they're telling us about the company. And at the end, and mind you, it's it's a class of like 35, 40 people that are onloading. And at the end, she flashes up this slide of union stuff. And I mean, it's like 
you know, top to bottom, a bunch, like there is multiple paragraphs worth of stuff. And she's, she flashed it up and it was up there for like five seconds and she took it down and she said, any questions about the union? <laughs> all right and so finally you know we're kind of like taking a bag because like you know i thought like he had to tell us by law about this shit tell us about like for about what what they can do for us what what can happen and literally it was just flash on flash off any questions and somebody started asking questions and she like very dismissively was like Oh well, technically I have to tell you this because you asked. They do this, you know, you can pay you if you join the union, you're going to have to pay dues and honestly in my opinion, they don't really do anything. They just take your money and if you want to sign up, here's the form. Does any, any takers? <laughs> it was just like Jesus. Talk about any union bullshit. Like come on. They, that that literally can't be legal, right? <laughs> So that's probably, considering it's a car parts factory, and this is just an assumption, but I'm going to assume that was probably UAW. And I don't really know much about the UAW, but I believe it's significantly different than the union I'm a part of. Like, I'm the trades union. Okay. Um, yeah, but I don't know much about that. But Yeah. I just remember it being, like, this really, like, it. she was trying to get past it so that nobody joined the union. Because I'm sure... It, it, so at the end of the whole situation of my two months there, I knew I was on my way out because obviously I met Emily. I wanted to move back to Midland, be around her. You know, I, I knew I was on my way out. And honestly, to be fair, I was slacking. This was mind numbing shit and I didn't want to be there. And I knew I was going to quit here in the next week or so. And I did something where my numbers weren't high enough or I, I made a mistake and literally, he pulled me into a back room and said, go ahead and give me your stuff. You're you're done today. And I guarantee you, if I signed that paper and paid that due, the union would have, you know, held my back. Potentially. Maybe not. Some unions are better than others. Like down south, like Texas, uh, their union's not strong. Yeah. Yeah, they have no spine, apparently. I can't say for sure, but it's 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 what I've been told. Well, you're a union man. Tell me about like the like what you see in it. Look, but the only reason I joined the union is is because the college thing did not work out for me. Mm. So when somebody gave me the key to a door that required nothing but hard work, I was like, "Screw it. That's sounds about to be the only thing that I can get into." I didn't know anything about the union. I didn't care about the union. Like honestly, I just want to go to work make my money and come home. I don't yeah. even want to deal with the politics or any of that garbage. Sometimes you're forced to, but it's, I don't know. Like I said, I just, just want to go to work, make my money and come home. Or just, what do you, just leave me be. <laughs> what do you think about all the strikes that have been going on this summer? Don't pay attention to it. Oh yeah. Yeah. I am like the furthest thing from a political person. Like, okay. I mean, I have my views and stuff obviously, but I'm not, I don't feel like I go around and preaching it and this and that. And I don't even like do like research to back anything. So like, I can't even sit there and have an argument about it. Cause I don't know anything about it. Mm. I just, I just know that I'm like, I like guns. That's a good thing. <laughs> <laughs> you know what I mean? So it's like, I mean, that's, that's something. I mean, if you, if that's what you want to base your politics off of, okay. I mean, it's, not, it's not based on guns, but you get the idea. If, if yeah. I, I know what I believe in. And honestly, I just, I like, if I, if I were to ever have kids, if they could just have a good moral compass and just be a good person, I feel like I've done my job. Be, uh, be good to, be good to society and have a good moral compass and, I don't feel like you're going to turn out that bad. Life talks with Jeremy Bolivall. I'm loving it, man. So what have for, so obviously you've never been on strike, right? No, I'm, I'm not technically, I'm not really supposed to, if I show up really? to a job site and there's a strike, I'm supposed to go home. Right. So, you know, I guess how would that work in your life? Because if you go on, if you can't show up, you can't work, you're not making the money. Go what the hell's happening? Are you, are you shit out of luck? I'm going home and making knives. All right. I mean, there you go. Yeah. I don't know. Like I said, I, just, I don't even worry about it. If they're like, hey, we can't be here today, but like, cool. I got plenty of stuff to do at home. See ya. See you tomorrow. You know, that almost seems like the perfect, 
perfect situation where the only risk on being in a union is if you go on strike, then you're going without for a while. Like you're, you're not getting a paycheck. I'm sure you get something from the union, but it's not going to be nearly enough. Well, shit, if that ever happens, bust your ass in the knife shop and you're going to be making the same, if not more. I mean, so there's a couple of ways to look at it, but like, cause there's pros and cons to everything in life. Right. So if, if I don't go to work, I don't get paid. It's that simple. Now on the other side, if, if I need to plan a vacation, all I do is say, Hey, I'm not going to be here the first through the 14th. Have a good day. And that's that they're they don't like it. I guess I'm, I'll find another job. I don't need them. Walk off. (laughs) See ya. So how does that, because I've always like the only jobs that I've had has been like retail jobs where you show up at target, you end up like, it's not like I'm, I'm a real tailor and I'll stock shelves at target this week. And then two months from now, I'll be stocking shelves at another place where it seems like your job sites, it's not, you're not working under one person all the time. You're, you're jumping from job site to job site. I always assumed that it was one building company and that, that company would send people to this place and then send people to that place. Is that not the way it works? No. So like I'm, I'm, if you, how do I put it? So if like, um, John's framing company, so that's, that's a contractor and then he hires his employees. Mm -hmm. You can think of the union as a contractor and I'm an employee of the union kind of like, but it's weird because like union doesn't sign my paychecks. It's the company I'm working for. So like the company I was working for at this refinery was brand. So brand scaffolding signs my paychecks, but then they pay all of my benefits. I don't know if they pay benefits to the union. See, see, that's where like I lose interest. As long as I see the right numbers where they need to be, it's good (laughs) enough for me. It could go through 20 hands or it could go through two and it wouldn't matter to you. Right now where it would get shady. And this is kind of like a perk of the union. I suppose if you want to look at it this way, if I'm not getting paid, then I can run it up the chain and these the, so I'm paying these $23 a month and it's supposed to be paying our business agents to do X, Y, Z. Okay. Sure. So if I have a problem and I have to run it up the chain as high as um, my, my business agent, he's supposed to take care of me, back me, whatever. As long as I'm a hundred percent the right, he he's, should be able to defend me till the end. Yeah. So, so he's going to bat for you. So you'll, you at least have someone in your corner where like while I was at Target, if let's say I have two bosses ahead of me and they both give me eight hours worth of work and I only have an eight hour shift, which would happen a lot, and I only get done half of each or one of all and none of the other, I would get my ass reamed by the other one. And I would try to explain like, oh, well, this other person gave me the job. Well, and I never, I never felt like, well, they're both my bosses and I feel like I need to be appeasing you to the best of their ability or you could can me essentially so i never had anybody in my corner other than you know going going and bitching to my buddy oh yeah these assholes screw these people whatever but they never they never i never felt like anybody was in my corner see and that's some guys feel that way as is even being in the union and that's why i think sometimes it gets a bad rap Mm. but i also don't stir up any dust so i don't really have to worry about it like i said i go to work i do my job and basically as as long as the money's there i'm there i don't really have anything to complain about yeah all right well i feel like we've uh talked union talk about enough um so you just went through a really cool press build where you built your own um hydraulic press that thing first of all is freaking massive what the hell made you want to build a press that big? Because I can't afford the good stuff. <laughs> well, tell me about it. Um. Well, actually, I probably deserve a few people. And uh, how would I say it? I. It's not like an apology because I never, never was like yelling at them or anything. But uh, there was some people out there that were right about some design flaws in my press. Uh, sure. So. There's a couple things to fix, like uh, Coal Ironworks. I mean, you're probably familiar with them. Oh, yeah. 
So they, the ram is attached to this guide plate that runs it up and down, and it's it's a pretty beefy setup. And mm-hmm. when I had built mine, I was I, I couldn't understand why that part was so beefy because in, in the way my brain works, I couldn't figure out how the stress was going to be in that that guide plate. Well, sure. so I built mine the way I thought. I was like, this will be fine. Well, it turns out it wasn't built beefy enough, and it's it's not that it's broken. It just needs a little, little fix. I just, mm. I, I bent a part, and luckily it's kind of a part that's, like, built to fail. Mm. So it's not the end of the world, but uh, there's some engineering that, that needs to be done. We're, we're in the granule at this point. Tell me about, like, how many pounds is this thing, pre- or how many tons is it pressing? How large is this thing? Because I remember, like, you said something about you built the thing in a different shop, and then you're worried about getting it into your shop because it's so damn big. So I was, uh, so when I had, I had uh, we'll back up. So when I had, uh, started designing this press, um, I had talked to Dennis Tyrell because he had built his own press. Right. And so he's like, here, check out this uh, link to my YouTube video. I talk all about it. I'm like, okay. So Dennis had built a uh, 30-ton press. Mm. So I had messaged him, and I said, hey, can I just buy everything that you bought just to make it simple? Because there's math that goes into how many gallons per minute your pumps push in, and then that correlates to how much fluid you need and how big of a cylinder and this and that. And I was like, well, Dennis has already done all the hard work. Uh, so I use, I don't know if they're affiliate links or what, but he's got links to everything he's bought. Sure. So I used all those links to get all my stuff from wherever on the internet. He had it kind of all over the place. But so I I bought all of that and that was, that was pretty expensive up front. So I just kind of sat for a while, you know, trying to figure out how the hydraulic system was going to be ran and, and all this. So eventually I get into building it and I'm trying to come up with a height and there's a few things like before I'm building it that I'm not sure how, how the height's going to work out for different things because I didn't have a concrete plan on, on some parts of how the press was going to work. So I had, I was like, well, I need to keep it under, I don't remember what it was. It was like seven foot something, which is like the height of my garage door. (laughs) All right. So. I'm doing the math and I'm like, yeah, I, I think we'll be just fine. I get this thing pretty much welded up to as, as tall as it's going to be. And I pull a number. I'm like, uh-oh, that seems a little tall. <laughs> so I told my dad because he had helped me build most of it. And I went went home and pulled a number. And I told my dad, I said, uh, we got a problem. I said, this thing is three inches too tall. Mm. And he said, uh, he's like, well... So we kicked around some ideas, whatever, and I'd come up. We'd come up with an idea where I was. We we're gonna put a floor jack under the front side of my press and tip it backwards, mm. and then slide it under the garage door and then back in. Well, now what I'm imagining is when Will Stelter dropped that power hammer. That's exactly that what it would have been like because oh this God. thing, this thing weighs a ton. Right. It's rather large. We get to the house. And I did some poor math once again because I was only short by like an inch or something. It was it was small, three quarters of an inch something. Well, to it, if you if you think about the geometry and you have your press standing up and you jack up on the front side, that it's going to start to go up before it goes down. Right. So even to move an inch or, or whatever we needed, we had to jack it up a long ways and. Once we had it jacked, like we started jacking and it's like, this, is, this isn't going to work. I never once said jack off. So get off me. Come on. Come on. You can't say we're jacking all over the place. Come on. Yeah. All right. <laughs> Damn it, Brian. I'm trying to tell a story here. I'm sorry. Continue. All right. So whatever we decided that the, uh, Hydraulic ram wasn't going to work, so we had to figure out something else to do. And we're looking, we're looking, and my dad's like, I don't really know what to do. And so I was like, screw it. I got my hammer out, and I started ripping trim off of off of the, the garage door. 
just trying to gain any any little bit that I could. Mm. I'd ripped down all the frame or the trim and I got down to the header. And usually a header for a door, a garage door, or whatever is it's two by fours and they're supposed to be like three like three thick. It's just you really want to support all that weight that's sagging in between the door, right? Well, they had pieced together like two two by fours in two layers, and it was it was a mess. Mm. And like it's like my shop, I I mean you've been there. It's it oh, is yeah. not a it's not a nice place. It's it's it could be a lot worse. Yeah, it could be, but it it's it's rough. Like when I put a, a four foot level on my man door, it's like six inches out of plumb. <laughs> well, it's not, you know, it's not good. So. What do I do? I take a circular saw and I start cutting a notch out of the garage door, like the header. Because I only missed it by like an inch, right? So I just sure. start cutting and dad's like, oh, you're going to have to make more cuts than that to clean it up so that you can knock out all those little shims that you had cut out. Mm-hmm. I said, uh, we ain't going to need that. So I just took the claw of my hammer and started going to town. <laughs> just beating the snot out of my header on this for this garage and i'm door. sure the entire way through every swing of the hammer you're thinking is this going to be the blow that breaks it <laughs> no no i figured it, well i figured it'd be okay it was only one out of the two two by fours i figured it'd be fine i said i'll patch it up later well anyways that ended up working i cut okay. my notch out we slid the press in no problem it fit in the garage thank god because if, if I, I I don't know what I would have done if I would have missed it by three inches because that would have been a pain. <laughs> it would have been bad. Jacking to three inches is really hard, let me tell you. <laughs> Sounds like you're speaking from experience. <laughs> Come on, man. That, you, you lined it right up there. Come on. You can't, you can't do that to me. Oh, God. So, <laughs> so the press is in there. It's all set up. You're happy with it. Um, you had the one bent part. What's it going to take to fix that? Thicker steel. <laughs> Thicker steel. That's I don't. It? I don't know honestly. Um, I, it's not that it's not usable. Like it still works. But I know if I continue to to use it as is, it, it'll fail eventually. Like not catastrophically, but it'll fail to the point where I have to like do some serious work to it. So it's not bad right now, but I definitely think I should fix it instead of putting a Band-Aid on it. Mm. Yeah, I mean, this this is potentially a tool that you'll be using for the rest of your knife-making career. So, I mean... I, I doubt it. Really? Really. Why, why is that? Someday when I have the money to get a coal, I'm getting one. So, this is really just something to, to tide you over until that comes through. I mean, more or less... Like, I don't know. It's tough because, you know, I made it. It works. But there's just some things that it's worth spending money on. And the, the Coal Ironworks press is a good press. Yeah. I'm not – there's there's nothing to say. I mean, hell, I built mine modeled after theirs. Like, what is what does Brian say? That imitation is the most sincere – Form of flattery. It? Yeah, yeah. So, uh, yeah, I mean, you can't deny it. You look at it, and it darn near looks like one of theirs. But Right. And I, I thought I had overbuilt parts of mine, and it's that's not true at all. They're, the the design of their press is, is they did their homework. That's for right. sure. There's a reason why it looks the way it does. Yeah. There's, I mean, everything is very intentional on it. So, and uh, oh. I, I actually got to talk to their uh, design engineer at Blade Show. Oh, yeah? Yeah. And I'm I'm not sure that he was super impressed that my press looked like his, but <laughs> but he did he did give me some good information on on where stress goes when you're pressing, and and that was that was really useful because I I don't mm. think I was finished at that point so learning where to reinforce um, where I needed reinforcement on my press that was it was good and those those there was nice guys. Yeah, for sure. Um, yeah, they're they're great people for sure. So, how, what's the price differential? You built it yourself versus go ahead and pick up one of theirs. Like, how much money did you save to make one? Um, geez, uh, I don't know. What's one cost now? Like seven grand, eight grand? I mean, I guess it depends on how big you get. So probably twenty five percent of their cost. Twenty five percent. I mean, if you figure that if if their press is eight thousand, and I built mine for roughly two, 
Well, I guess. I mean, there's that, but also, do you feel like yours is only one fourth of the product? Or do you feel like you got a good differential there? Like you you built it for two grand instead of spending eight, but yours is only, you know, two thirds of their quality. So I feel like if that's the case, then you want out on that until you use that until you can you can afford one of theirs. I mean, if if they hit a if they hit a hole in one, then I I part or bogeyed. Okay. I mean I mean I did fine. It it does what it's supposed to do. Do you think it's going to last you five or ten years? Yeah, if I if I fix my one issue, that's the big issue. If I fix that, no problem. Well, then there you go. So I mean, with this with this new press, I mean, you can be making Damascus sand mice. I mean, you the sky's the limit with Damascus. Is that kind of your big plan with it? Um, I like the convenience of being able to make simple Damascus at my my own shop because before, you know, I was traveling to make it and everything, which is a pain. Yeah. And not that I have anything against any companies that make Damascus or pattern welded steel of any kind because Baker does a really good job. <laughs> um, but uh, I buy theirs because I can't make it. And if I could, I'd probably dabble, but they're killing it and my whole billet had zero uh d lambs i had there's not one spot that i ground and was questioning it like it's just solid steel wow so, so it was right out of the money like right out of the the gate you were you were killing it yeah and it and it, it comes to you i mean they shipped it fast too like yeah. it was there the same week and i was like oh yeah okay well that's nice i wasn't expecting that fast but yeah well, I, I won't complain so how about your Damascus? I mean, obviously you've made Damascus before, so you're pretty confident that you're able to make it in that shop already? Yeah, I've already made some. Yeah, I know you have, but like, oh, oh. you're feeling just as confident as if you bought it from Baker. Yeah, I don't see why not. I mean, I'm not doing anything challenging, though. You know what I mean? Yeah. I'm not making... I'm not... Let's see. I, I haven't tried copper. You know, I haven't I haven't done any of that stuff. I'd li- I have the stuff to do it. And I'd like to do it, but uh, it's not on my plate right now. I'm kind of trying to gear up for other things, other other events in life, I suppose. Like I well, want to, me. but if 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 Damascus isn't what I'm looking to sell right now, then I'm not like super interested in it. You know what I mean? Well, tell me about these events that you're you're talking up right now. What's going on? Well, so I'm catching up on orders from this year. Uh, this year's been pretty slow for me, to be honest. It's been slow um, for everybody, man. It's it's been slow at my shop. It's been slow to everyone I've talked to. But I am catching up on some uh, previous orders. I got a couple kitchen knives. Nothing too fancy there. I'm not really supposed to talk about one of them, but it's oh. getting a uh, handle uh, from Ryan Moeller. Okay. Somebody had bought some scales from Ryan and sent them to me. It said okay. I want a kitchen knife, so that one's fun. Um, I got the in-laws would like a kitchen knife. I'm working on that one. Um, well, before we jumped on this podcast, you were telling me about going to a local chef and reworking, kind of, or not reworking, but getting advice from a local chef. So yeah, we're kind of back up to it because uh, all right. So last night I was on the phone and I I had called Colton from. Um, barbell blacksmith and he had talked on the hustle and grind podcast about different austenizing temperatures for uh stainless steels and how it can affect certain outcomes well we had gone through that conversation and i had for some reason we got talking on chef knives probably because that's what i'm heat treating and we were just talking edge geometry and then somehow it flowed from chef knives to like social media to to hey how how do you how do you do knives full-time i'm like that's a lot like to be as consistent as you are like that's that's a lot of work like what do you do to grow because i'm not i'm not there and he's he's doing a ton of work and so he had told me he's like you know if you should find a nice restaurant around that uh like high end 
and go talk to one of their chefs. And then uh, whatever you have to do, you know, if you have to get a piece in their hands to to get them interested in buying one or whatever, he's like, do it and and hit them all up. Don't don't just do one. So I had uh, mentioned it to the guy that had bought the uh, copper knife from Baker that I had made with the carbon fiber. Mm-hmm. And he's like, hey, man, my uh, my friend owns this place called Benchmark in uh, in Perrysburg. And I was like, never heard of it, but I'll look into it. Yeah, they got like, uh, you go to their, uh, their, 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 uh, like you Google them and it gives you like a review or whatever. And it's like $4 signs. I was like, oh yeah, now we're talking. Yeah, that's, that's the, that's the primo stuff right there. Right. And so I, I mean, I've talked to Todd Harrington here and there, but besides that, I've never talked to like a professional chef about, about anything really. And so what they he's like yeah we'll set up a meeting for you so he's like talk to this guy and i i sent him a message and he replied almost instantly he's like that sounds like a good a good thing so he's like uh, let's do it mm. so today i went in and pretty much interviewed a chef uh the head chef at the this restaurant and you know ask him what his what his job was what his daily duties were like just to get a feel for like what what he needs a knife to do so he had he had pulled out his whole roll of, of chef knives, and yeah. so we just we sat there and chatted about chef knives. And uh, the only chef knife that I have, like finished, is one that's in my kitchen because I made a small but large error in finishing, and it, to to go back and fix it was more than I wanted to do. So I said, "Screw it, it's going to my kitchen." Well, I brought it to him. And he said, dude, this thing is awesome. Really? He said, if, wow. he said, add two inches to the blade and make a straight handle. He's like, I will use the shit out of it. There you go. So I'm not saying it's a sale, but I think if I can impress him enough with edge retention and balance in this, in this knife, I think I might be there. I might have a sale. So you're talking, so he wanted a straight handle. What, what, what was on yours? Uh, so mine has uh, it's from the Ricasso to the to the ASN was tapered, tapered out with like a uh, I don't even know how to how to describe it. That the ASN was rounded and kind of flared out, mm. and he just he just said that he's like I don't I don't think there's a purpose for it. He's not a big fan of the the wide back end. Is what you're saying? Yeah. Okay. All right. <laughs> Come on. Boo. <laughs> so, no, so you know, it sounds. Oh, go ahead. Oh no, he was just saying how, like the just the way he holds the knife, which I thought was almost bizarre because, I, like, when I hear pinch grip, I think thumb and index finger right in front of the Ricasso. Right. To me, that's like a normal pinch grip. But like I said, you know, I've I've never talked to a chef before, so this is all new to me. So when he grabs this knife, he puts his his uh, index finger, middle finger, and ring finger in front of the Ricasso, pinches That's it with wild. his thumb, and he just he's so choked up on it, and he so almost... literally so literally the only thing that's on the handle itself is like barely his middle finger and the pinky. Yeah, and he yeah, uses weird. the handle as like uh like he uses it to support the hand and knife as like one. So it's like a part of his hand. So his, his forearm is where the, the spine of the knife on the handle sits and it rides right in his wrist. And he's like, you just have so much control. And I was like, that's, that's really interesting. (laughs) Well, I mean, I've talked to a lot of chefs and I've never heard of that before. (laughs) And maybe, you know, I don't know, but that's, that sounds pretty wild. And I mean, when he, when he held it and, and I, I mimicked what he did, I, actually believe what he's saying and how it how it makes sense to me because that just the way it feels yeah you you feel like you have a ton of control now if he if he needs to do some like i don't know you always see like those videos of the chefs chopping something really thin really fast yeah if he's doing something like that he doesn't pinch up he doesn't pinch up so much but Mm. so i guess let's really talk about what you're looking for now that you've you've made a bunch of chef knives and you you've talked to the chef. 
what are changes that you are looking at trying to do for yours? And like, I guess, what is, what is the main takeaways? So the takeaways, honestly, um, are that every chef is going to be different. Yeah. And just because he showed me his sous chef's knives and they're completely different. But for him, as long as it's balanced in the Ricasso, the handle tapers enough, like the, the, the taper on this petty chef that I had, I, I wish you could see it. I literally have probably a 16th of an inch of scale that goes from where the Ricasso is to the actual handle. Like it's tapered down to like nothing. Mm. So he really enjoyed that because of the way his grip is. Now it works for him, might not work for the next guy, but this is what he wants. So if, if you do have a chef that wants a knife like this, honestly, go talk to them and and get a feel for exactly what he wants. So as long as it's balanced, it's thin, and it's got good uh, good edge retention, like uh, really that's, that's what he's looking for because – he it, it's like he doesn't even use the handle so it's not a huge thing to him obviously if it's a square block like yeah it's probably not gonna jive with him yeah but so i mean he didn't care about blade shape he didn't care about the, the material itself carbon versus stainless versus whatever he just he was all about the ricasso the edge well i guess edge retention goes with stain or the the steel itself but he did say that some guys in the kitchen do have carbon blades that are that are not stainless, and yeah, they do. They they patina, and he's like, "That's not for me." So he did he did mention mm. that he was a stainless person. He said no Damascus because he doesn't like the way it looks. Him and nobody else. <laughs> hey man, they, for for a, a working knife, I can't say I blame him. Yeah, I'm not gonna. Yeah, if you're going to, like, don't get me wrong, The ba- say you make a, a, like, Jordan makes those uh, chef knives from from Baker. Yeah. Completely usable. Never Do I have used. the money to use that? Not a yeah, chance. No. Yeah, that's, that's what I was kind of talking to him about. I don't know if I was talking to him on the podcast or after, but, like, I guarantee you 99% of his knives, and 99% of, like, all of the super high-end Damascus chef knife makers that shit's sitting in a box somewhere. Hopefully on a mantle and not in a box. Well, yeah, you know what I mean. Like a, you know, glass box. Oh, oh, okay, yeah, yeah. Shadow but, box. Okay, so he so he wants stainless and the um that petty chef that I had on me was a K tip and he liked that for whatever reason. It's aesthetic. I asked him, I was like, so like his cause his knives were kind of K tip, but they were a lot less aggressive where mine was like mm almost like a bullnose type, you know, it's like pretty, pretty yeah. steep. And he's like, honestly, he's like not much of a use there either way. Mm-hmm. He said it's more of a, more of an aesthetic thing. He goes, as long as it's thin, doesn't really matter. It has a good taper to it. Got a little bit of flex. He's like, perfect. So he wanted flex in a chef knife. I mean, and I'm not saying a lot. I'm, you know, enough that it's not a two by four, but it's not a boning knife either. Yeah. So it, it just had enough where it wasn't super stiff. He's yeah. And he had a whole roll of knives. So he's like, if I really need a knife that's got flex, he's like, I'll go to this one. Yeah. So See, I'm I'm experimenting with my next batch where I'm doing a – I've done a couple chef knives that start off at an eighth – or a sixteenth thin steel. And the first one I made, I, I started off at a sixteenth, and then I did – a full flat grind on it. It made it so thin, so whippy. I mean, you, you're trying to chop and when you're trying to move on to the next thing, the tip doesn't move, but your hand does. And the thing was just flexing like that, which that was too much. And then, you know, I've kind of learned to kind of, okay, you don't do a full flat on this, but it's still super thin, super light and still has enough of a flex. There is a medium there in somewhere, but the thinner, if you start off with that 16th, man, that shit is just so slicey. It's it's crazy how thin you can get those things. Yeah, and I definitely think I'm going to give it a try just to see just to see what I think of it. And maybe I'll bring that one to him and, you know, say, hey, like, what do you think about this? Because I don't know that a chef knife can be too light unless yeah. it's personal preference. But I think that 
like you can definitely go too heavy. So I, I don't know. I think eighth, one eighth would be the absolute max that I would do. But yeah. I personally, as of now, like uh, 094. Mm. Yeah. And that's kind of that's kind of a pretty good sweet spot for sure. But um, yeah, it's it sounds like this guy is kind of asking for the best of all worlds, where he wants it super thin, super balanced crazy edge retention but still flexible like come on dude <laughs> i don't know like what are, what are you supposed to do there because i mean do you do you go ahead and take one of these and do it out of magna cut and see if he likes that um that's definitely a good thought because i think if i can uh if i can beat the edge retention of his current knives i think i think that's a sale yeah i'm not gonna count my chickens till they hatch but I have it, he he liked this knife a lot for for what it is, and this thing is used patinaed. It's it's barely sharp. Mm. So, which I I didn't want to bring it, but I'm like I need to bring something. Right. So honestly, I feel like even if you make a seven inch K tip chef knife out of Magna Cut, whether he buys it or not it's gonna sell like that shit it's it's gonna sell <laughs> that's that's kind of like the main the main thing that everyone's looking for right now it seems you know what's also wild is this guy told me that he does not care about knuckle clearance what because of the way he holds the knife oh, he has yeah. he doesn't need knuckle clear like the he, he could hold a paring knife and have knuckle clearance because of the way he holds it <laughs> yeah <laughs> like, this this guy's an anomaly for sure. I wouldn't base your standard knife design off of this guy. No, but you know what I'm going to do? Is I'm going to make two of them. And I'm going to bring it to the next chef that I that I chat with and ask him how he likes it and get yeah. a get a uh, an opinion that way. Just just to be curious to see if that was just uh, a unicorn or maybe maybe I'm on to something with a maybe. with a new design. Yeah, like, maybe you're on to something, to, honestly. New to me, not like to the knife industry. Obviously, like everything's been done, right, right. But like new concept for me because it's it's not how I make my chef knives. But I'm gonna start making them if if it works out. I suppose. Honestly, I mean, the vast majority of things that I've seen come out of the four one nine forging shop has been mostly hunting knives and EDC knives. So to open up a culinary knife, I feel like is going to at least double your business. Because what I find is uh, solidly half of the knives that I sell are culinary knives to people that want to use them in their homes. Like home chefs is where it's at right now and where it's at normally. I mean, I've definitely, I've sold a fair share of chef knives. Definitely not. I mean, out of, out of what I've sold throughout the last two and a half years. Yeah, definitely hunting and EDC type of knives, but I've got, I've got a, decent number i actually just yeah. ground out a, a a seven inch k-tip chef knife with uh with the s grind or a diamond grind i can never remember what it is so was it was the was the channel in the middle of the bevel or at the top of the bevel top diamond grind diamond okay yeah that's what i did and uh i freehanded the entire thing and it was challenging yeah you know who you need to talk to is Ryan Chadborn. Yeah, he's a work rest, and my work rest arm is not long enough to use my big wheel. Mm. Damn. Slight issue, but you know it's fine. You just turn that you turn that VFD up to like ninety percent. You put a brand new thirty six grit belt on there, and you set your line, and then it's gravy <laughs> after that. It's just setting that line is so nervous making, man. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah, pretty much it sucked. <laughs> yeah. And it doesn't look bad. Uh I think I think for the style of knife like uh, cuz it's got a belly on the spine and then the K-tip and then the the hollow grind on top was weird because of the differential between the the t- like the tip, the middle and the and the end. There's a belly. So mm. that that hollow grind in between was kind of weird and I don't know. I'm gonna try it out on some potatoes, and see how the edge re- or the food stick is. Because honestly, that's yeah. like the whole idea of it. Um, 
you know, honestly, I've never quite, and I'm sure Ryan Chadbourne can kind of tell us a little bit better, but I've never understood the diamond grind idea because by the time something travels that high up, it's already stuck to the side of your blade. Like that hollow isn't in the spot where the, the, the food release is an issue. I tell you what, when I finish it, I'll make a video of cutting potatoes and we'll find out. Yeah, because just, honestly, like, I've never even held a chef knife with a diamond grind. So I I don't know, but just logically, I feel like there's a flat grind between the edge and at least halfway up the bevel, which is where things stick. I don't know. I don't know. I mean, I guess it, I guess it depends. Is it, what if you have a really big potato and it's like two and a half inches round or diameter? Right, but- you know, what happens if you're cutting carrots and you're getting stuck or you're cutting small t- tomatoes or I don't know. Maybe instead of stacking up from cutting edge to spine, it'll only stack up from cutting edge to hollow. <laughs> They'll just fall off at the hollow. I mean, there's a reason why so many people do it, though. Like that, just because I don't understand doesn't mean it's a bad idea. <laughs> That's what I'm trying to say. Yeah, well, I'll find out because it's the first one I've ever done, so... So here's something that I am super jealous of. You pulled the trigger on one of those laser engravers. Uh, Tell me, yeah, uh, yeah I you, did. <laughs> uh oh, I'm I'm hearing some hesitation in your in your voice. It was kind of like an impulse buy because yeah. Ben's, I think it was Ben's bites. Yeah, he put it on his story, mm-hmm. and and I've been kicking around the idea of a laser for some time. It was on some sort of crazy discount, wasn't it? Yeah, it was a refurbished model, so it was like forty-one percent off. What was what? Tell me what what was it like? It, I think it was an X Tool or something. So the exact laser that I got is an X Tool D1 Pro twenty watt. Okay, twenty they, watt. They make a ten, a twenty, I want to say a forty, and then you can go to IR. But IR really limits you, but apparently is better for steel. Mm. But I have successfully gotten a good etch on even stainless steel with my laser. Okay, so that's that's positive. Downside, it takes 20 minutes. Oh! <laughs> Upside, I don't have to look at it. I just set it and forget it. I can go. I can set it. I can go do whatever else. I can work on leather. I could sharpen. I whatever I want to do. It could take as long as it wants. It basically, to me, it's like tempering. Mm. You throw it in the oven, you forget about it. I put it on the laser, I walk away. Okay, so obviously it's different than the one when I was down at Brian House's shop. Um, you know, they have, I don't know exactly what the laser is, but you put something down there, you hit a button, it goes zzz, 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 and it's done. Like maybe 10 seconds max. If so it's I'm not, not that. If I'm not mistaken, Brian has a fiber laser. Oh. So there's fiber lasers, there's diode lasers, there's IR lasers. There's there's a whole plethora of lasers, and I'm sure they each have their own niche, right? So the cool thing about my laser, and maybe maybe other la- lasers do this, but to get into this laser brand new is like $1,000. Not bad for a laser that can etch right. steel. Um. I can also, I can cut wood. I can etch glass. I can get this thing that holds uh, like tumblers. I could laser tumblers. I could uh, cut wood, leather, etch glass. Like it, yeah. it does a handful of things. Now that's, that's where that uh, IR laser limits you, I believe. Cause I don't think you can cut certain stuff with it. I think it's more of just a glass or a steel engraver. Mm-hmm. Okay. But uh, they all have pros and cons. I, I guess it depends what you want to do with it. And I, I was talking to Matt Berger the other day, and we're kind of kicking ideas off each other about how to how to get our lasers to pay for themselves. He hasn't bought one yet, but it sounds like he might be pulling the trigger soon. All right. I'm not sure. He's been chatting with uh, Reaper Metalworks because yeah. he has the IR laser. He's been playing around with it a bunch. So he's he's got good knowledge about the lasers too if you're interested in one but for what it for what i want to do with it currently it's doing the job there's things out there that do the job better but even if you start looking at like a co2 laser 
you're talking three, four, five thousand dollars. Yeah, and the time that that will take to pay for itself is ridiculous. Unless it's a time thing, like Brian's Brian House's laser probably cost him a ton of money, but you know how much time it saves him. Oh, right, exactly. But because the the I quantity mean, of parts he's etching exactly. is insane. Exactly. So, oh, you so you remember? Um, Dexter was walking around Blade Show with that Ridge wallet. Yeah. That yeah. So he had laser engraved stuff on there. Yeah. I'm gonna try that. With See, mine. I I ended up with one of those, and while I was down in Florida, he had or Sarah actually had me send her my logo, and she was able to put that into the computer, and then we laser engraved my my logo on the same wallet. So yeah, those things. I mean, that's that's now my everyday wallet is one of those ridge wallets that is all decked out and house made and my little logo on there yeah i'm pretty jealous i mean they're super cool and for i don't think i guess i don't remember if they're like ridge wallet proper or a knockoff or whatever it's all the same shit if, but well i i wouldn't say that really why my dad so so this seems very like uh I don't know. I don't know. Good, good word to use. Um, how do I put it? The the quality on the inside. So the surface. Uh, so on a Ridge wallet, on the inside, it's these. I don't know if it's metal or plastic, but there's on my wallet. They're super shiny and they're super slippery. So to get your cards out, super easy. My dad oh. had bought a knockoff version, and the plastic on there wasn't polished as much as what mine is. Mm. And to get the cards out of that one was such a pain. See the art, the one that I have is metal, so it, oh. it's pretty pretty slick. I, I don't know, I don't know. But I guess the the point is is you have this wallet, and I'm gonna make my own because I didn't get one. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. And also, like you know, if if you get into the hammock of summer and you don't have a job to go to. You can make, like, you know, baby shower stuff. You can make, you know, bridal shower and, you know, the groomsmen stuff. Like, there's so many little things that you can just buy, throw a cool design on it, and you're good to go. See, honestly, I was, I'm was i really kicking around the idea of getting this. It's, it's something you plug into your laser, and it looks like a lathe where you chuck up the cup. And then, because it's not a flat surface, my laser prints like a printer. There's the laser goes back and forth, mm. and it cuts these lines. So you can't do it on a curved surface unless the curved surface is moving to keep the to keep the laser in focus because it, right. uh, it has a specific focal point where it it does the best work. And so you need this uh, this lathe looking thing, this chuck. And I'm like, man, if I could get if I would buy that. I could probably make my money back in just in cups. Oh yeah, because it would be then, easy enough to to laser engrave a, a deer on there or a guy in a tree stand. Like you could find all these pictures on uh, Google, drop them in, laser. You know, easy. maybe what you should do is modify them by at least ten percent. You don't want to get yourself sued. It's pretty generic. Yeah, I know, but and I'm know. a small time deal. Yeah, but then again, do you want to be laser engraving cups all day, or do you want to be making knives? I just I want I want to I want I want the laser to pay for itself, so I don't yeah. feel so bad. Yeah, but I mean, at the end of the day, yeah, anything to help my business, yeah, it's it's going to be a great idea. Like if I start doing hats, Matt Berger has found um, there's a there's some leather and 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 an adhesive that was brutal. Um, that's, that's right. that sticks really well to hats. Like he said that there's this video where this guy is trying to pull off the leather patch from the hat and the leather fails before the, the adhesive does. There you go. And I'm like, dude, that would be easy. Yeah. Just cut out this chunk of leather, engrave my logo on it, slap or it on a hat. Not even, you don't, it doesn't even have to be your logo. You can do, I mean, if you take it to your logo, yes, your fans are going to want to buy it. But, I mean, that's not enough to pay for the laser, I feel. If no, you do, no. but I yeah, don't know, expand, do whatever. Or, you know, knock off Ohio State stuff or, you know, Michigan stuff because that sells better. 
or like um i just had somebody ask me um i'm making a, a knife for this uh this girl's husband it's it's her wedding gift to him okay and i had just got the laser and i was like hey uh by chance do can i put your wedding date on the laser or on the other side of the knife she's like oh my gosh it's such a good idea yeah. i was like sweet that'll be nice oh yeah speaking of that that makes those personalization things so freaking easy yeah like you can does. put someone's in memory of this person or you know just somebody's name on it as long as again you gotta have that money up front before you personalize anything <laughs> uh yeah that's for sure yeah oh 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 I don't know why it made me think of this. I just got my first order from TikTok. Oh, yeah? Yeah, which is super odd because I just, Colton and Carver on the other podcast, uh, they're like, dude, you got to utilize TikTok. Like, they've they've really cut back on the, on the banning and stuff. And, and if you can get a crowd, he's like, it, you can definitely sell on in, or on TikTok. I had somebody message me on Instagram and he's like, Hey, I found you on TikTok, And then I followed you to Instagram and he ordered a knife. And I'm like, dude, I have no idea who this person is. Yeah. You know, I've been well, getting then, that uh, all the time, man. That's people underestimate TikTok. Well, so then I, you know, I asked for the down payment because that's like do or die. I was like, right. well, it's either going to happen or he's going to flake. Sent me money. Yeah. I was like, I'll be darned. Yeah. A sale from TikTok. Now I have noticed TikTok sales, you talk to more people and have more more flakes. But sales do come. Like it's it's not it's not a net negative. Plus, you can make a TikTok about people like you can you know how people do those conversations? Yeah. Yeah. And Easy. do the you know, do the worst customer or best customer stories. Yeah, exactly. Make content around failures. Yeah. People, people love, love to see stuff. you fail. And then also, I mean, you're already making reels for Instagram, so why not also drop it into TikTok? Yeah, absolutely. It's the same. It's the same platform. Or I'm really thinking. I'm really thinking about restarting my TikTok though, because I feel like because I was posting when if you mention the word knife, you get you know a demerit or some shit. I feel like I have enough of those demerits where I'm I'm pretty well. You know, not shadow banned, but I only get like 300 views per video. Or right. I imagine if I restart and just post the same stuff over again, I will be, because they're not really, you know, cracking down as hard, I feel like it would be more successful. But That definitely could be. So, yeah. oh, so TikTok, talking about people love to see you fail. You remember when I uh, had that video where I epoxied a knife to my table? Yeah. Yeah, that hit 13.2k views on TikTok. <laughs> People but like it's it's such random things that blow up, blow up. It's crazy. Oh yeah. It's the dumb stuff that pops off. But whatever. Uh I mean, no publicity is bad publicity, I right? Mean, I would disagree with that because another TikTok thing that has real bad publicity that you almost were a part of, you know, I'm going to bring up. Hey, I mean, yeah. Let her Last rip. Blade Standing, man. <laughs> what I, the hell? I heard you talking about it on a podcast today with Brian. I yeah. finally listened to last week's or this week's or whatever. Was I even close to right or did I get things wrong? Um, More or less. You talked about how it started about people not getting their prizes. And I don't know that if that's like the core to why it started. Oh. But I mean – your allegations were what everyone else is questioning. So, I mean, that part wasn't wrong. Now, like, I haven't done my own research, so I'm not going to sit here and say so-and-so did this, so-and-so did that. But, I mean, it, it sounds like there is people out there that have done their research and and have found some negative things. Yeah. So, yeah, that didn't go over well, but, I mean, if you're a criminal, you're a criminal. <laughs> It was just really bizarre because this all kind of went down when you were up here helping me run 220. And it was kind of funny to see how you were so excited about, you know, making being chosen in the in the vast amount of people that were signed up for it. You were one of the ones. And then all this shit kind of fell apart. 
What's funny because Micah Dunn even messaged me. He's like, hey, dude. He's like, I'm sorry uh, to, you know, I'm sorry season four is no longer a thing. And I'm like, why are you apologizing? Like, I don't even know what Micah had to do with Last Blade Standing. Mm. I'm like, dude, this isn't, like, I haven't even heard your name come up once in anything like this. Like, I don't, you're, I, I guess I accept your apology, but I was like, it's not your problem. It's not your fault. Right, right. But and realistically, it's it's probably just because you know there's so many th- videos going on of people talking about and trying to piece together what's happening, and I'm sure he just was like, "Oh shit, I know this. I know Jeremy's in this. You know how shitty is that?" Yeah, it is unfortunate, but honestly, if you know if what's being said is the truth, yeah, I don't want to be a part of that anyways. Oh no, not at all. It's Ugh. not. Yeah, that's not. You don't want to be affiliated with that. Yeah. And it's crazy, though. Like, I was so excited for you because you were... I mean, that would have been a huge thing for you, I imagine. Well, it was going to give me... Well, I thought it was going to give me something different to make. But I think it was going to be a pair of kitchen knives. Which is fine. But I was still... I was like, I'm going to make integral kitchen knives. I mean, they left all these leaks out about what it could be. And you pretty much got the pair. The idea is going to be a pair of kitchen in Damascus. So, so I like thought that would be cool. She- but. So like two chef knives or like a matching set, like a, a chef knife and a petty knife or a chef knife and a pairing knife? I think it would have been two identical chefs, but oh. we never got to find out. Mm. They left out a leak and then the <laughs> same day stuff went south and then all of a sudden like Last Blade <laughs> doesn't exist anymore and everyone's what it like, was. what it was. What it was is that guy just needed chef knives in his own kitchen, and he was going to pick one of them out. <laughs> That's an allegation, allegedly. Don't don't come knocking down my door. Come on now. I was going to say, just ask. I'll, I'll make you one. It might cost you a couple pennies. Ugh, man. So if he wanted to reach out to you to go ahead and put in that order, where would he find you? Um... Uh, 419 Forging on everything. 419 Forging. Jeremy, I really appreciate you sitting down and having this conversation with me. It was always, it's always a lot of fun to talk to you. And honestly, we we were having that conversation about halfway through. I was thinking, shit, this could be a podcast. So here we are. (laughs) (laughs) No, it's a good time as always. And appreciate you having me on. So one last question. What are you making next in your shop? You have to check my socials to find out. All right, guys. Go to 419 Forging and check that shit out. (laughs) Jeremy, thank you. Brought me a kitchen knife. All right. Thanks. Oh, shoot. I judged the the last little bit wrong. We have too much outro music. Say something funny. Uh, You have to excuse my friend. The town is that way. (laughs) 